It was a pleasure to have Dustin Reed on the podcast this morning. We talked about the probability of the Trump lawsuits being able to swing the election or have some impact on markets. We talked about the lame duck session, the ability of stimulus to get passed, and also what a Biden presidency and a Republican-held Senate might mean for markets going forward. I hope you enjoy. This podcast is for informational purposes only. Information relating to investment approaches or individual investments should not be construed as advice or endorsement. Listeners should seek professional advice for their situation. Welcome to the McKenzie Investments Podcast. My name is Matthew Schnur, and I'm delighted to be here with Dustin Reed. Dustin is the chief strategist on our uh, McKenzie fixed income team. And uh, he's here today to talk about the recent U.S. election results. Uh, Dustin, let's dive right into it. Uh, I'll start by sure. re- recalling the last time you were on the podcast, back October 6th. Okay. Uh, during that conversation, we titled the podcast, The U.S. Election is Closer Than It Appears. Uh, during that conversation, you had uh, referred to the polls seeming off uh, and, and over-favoring Biden. Uh, that all roads lead through Pennsylvania to the presidency. You even referenced the 18 to 1 split of uh, mail-in votes for registered Democrats to registered Republicans. Uh Uh, We sit here November 9th. You must be feeling pretty good about that prediction. Um, And uh, and just thought I'd highlight that. Congratulations. It was a non-consensus prediction that has come almost exactly to fruition. Right. I mean, uh, be careful what you wish for, I guess, right? So yeah, so I think we've had uh, a very interesting uh, outcome here that's not too far off you know, what I expected. I think the national polls were uh, over oversampling uh, Biden supporters quite significantly. And there were a, a handful of polls, I would even say less than a handful of polls that were, in my opinion, much more accurate of the electorate uh, and where things actually stood. And that coupled with a lot of anecdotal evidence seemed to suggest that it was gonna be a lot closer than a lot of these polls were suggesting. You know, for example, when I saw this poll for plus 16 or plus 17 for Wisconsin, I mean, I just thought that, you know, immediately dismissed that. I mean, that is just not, that's just not the case, right? And now it looks like it's gonna be within 1% or so. So, you know, I think that, yeah, it is a very it is an outcome that I'm not totally surprised with. You know, my call, my daily call with the PMs on the fixed income team last Monday, um, I basically said I think it's 55-45 Biden, and I just I'm it, the Senate is too close to make a call, and I'm you know it's it's kind of where we're at. So I think that it's um, you know we're at a very interesting inflection point here with uh, some of the lawsuits that are going to get filed by right. Trump and, and the Trump campaign. And, uh, you know, I think that is going to play out for, for the next few weeks. So, you know, it's going to take, a, obviously it takes a while for these results to get certified officially by Congress. And I think that we are going to probably, you know, see a fair bit of uh, back and forth, uh, particularly by the Trump team here uh, over the next few weeks. I'd love to pick up on that. Uh, so as you, you referenced, uh, Trump filing a lot of lawsuits, a lot of different states. Um, I'd say that the media coverage on it uh, outside of uh, maybe Fox News commentators or, or the, the right wing is that the, um, the lawsuits are somewhat frivolous. Um, 
Do you see that as the case, or do you see that these lawsuits could, uh, number one, drive markets, which is ultimately what we're interested in, uh, and two, lead to some sort of uh, change in the election result? So I think there is a pathway here, but it's small. Um, I'm not going to be completely dismissive of what's happening from from the legal side and, you know, not trying to offend liberals, uh, not trying to offend conservatives, just trying to call it as I see it here. I mean, there are sure. there's some interesting things going on. And, and, you know, I obviously spend a lot of time looking at numerous sources, Canadian, U.S., global, conservative, you know, liberal, uh, you know, traditional, non-traditional, that sort of thing. And, you know, there, there's, there's some concern over, um, you know, as an example, the number of ballots that only have Biden's name uh, on it uh, in terms of being filled out. Last I saw, there were 450,000 ballots in swing states where only Biden's name was filled out. And, and that's, that's a little bit odd. There's a number of discussions uh, and probably a lawsuit in Nevada around uh, non-residents uh, having voted there, potentially people that, are, that reside in California that may have voted in Nevada and pushed it you know, one way. Uh, there's significant concern over uh, um, <clears throat> a polling software that's used, uh, particularly in Michigan, where they've already found votes that swung in only one county, which wasn't exactly a huge county. Uh, 6,000 votes that swung. Uh, basically, people voted for uh, Trump and the software registered Biden. And that was also the same software was not only used in 47 other counties in Michigan, but uh, also in 30 states. So, you know, uh, it's, it's, it's tough to it's tough to call it uh, and say like, this is this is real. Uh, but there seems to be a lot of things going on. You know, Giuliani yesterday did a press conference um, out of uh, Philadelphia, I believe, definitely in Pennsylvania. And, you know, he said we're a thousand affidavits in uh, on our way to getting 2000 affidavits. And, you know, that is I mean, that is significant. I mean, an affidavit is a serious piece of paper. You're basically swearing that you are, um, you know, under oath, that you're telling the truth. And if you're found to not be telling the truth, you could be committed of uh, perjury. So, you know, uh, if they're on their way to getting 2000 affidavits about election, you know, I don't want to necessarily say fraud, but, you know, some sort of, you know, uh, some sort some sort of uh, irregularities uh, that, that is, you know, you can't ignore that. It would be it would be um, inappropriate, in my opinion, to ignore it. So right now I'm putting kind of, you know, people love probabilities. So I'm putting kind of a five to 10 percent probability path that Trump is somewhat successful here. Um, so obviously it's overwhelmingly, it's still in in Biden's favor, you know, but we could see a move to the Supreme Court here in the next few weeks, and it has to go through the state and then the appellate and then the federal and then up to the Supreme Court. Um, you know, but if you get to the point where this Supreme Court, for whatever reason, is starting to disallow val uh, ballots, you know, en masse, for whatever reason, program, you know, programming errors from a software glitch, or things that came in after the deadline, uh, those sort of things, and it starts happening on mass because you know Pennsylvania is relatively close, Michigan's relatively close, Nevada's close, Arizona's close, Georgia's close. You know things can things can move here. So um, I'm not, you know, I, I continue to be a little bit um, a little bit cautious in terms of just going 
all in on the Biden agenda, you know, sitting here, um, you know, the second week of November. Okay, fair enough. Um, I guess moving forward, so you, you put a five to 10% mm-hmm. probability on uh, on Trump finding mm-hmm. some sort of uh, path or, or uh, contestant. Um, what do you think about the uh, Senate race? Uh, so the Senate looks like it's going to come down to a runoff in Georgia uh, that happens in January. Um, I'd say largely it seems yep. like uh, Republicans are favored to take at least one of the seats and retain uh, the majority of the Senate. Yep. Uh, what do you give the Democratic mm-hmm. chance there uh, to to, sw- to uh, flip the Senate? And is mm-hmm. does the margin yeah. matter here if we're talking about one or two uh, senators uh, in Georgia? Yeah, it could. It could. I think it's you know it's a great question. Um, the Senate race is obviously very important here. You know, it was tough to call it because it was. I thought it was going to be fifty-fifty, and indeed, that seems to be the way it's uh, it's working out. You've got um, the North Carolina uh, senator as well as the Alaska senator, uh, both Republicans looking to uh, complete here in the next day or two, I'm sure, and that'll take the Republicans to fifty to forty-eight for the Democrats, and the two Georgia uh, races are still in limbo. We'll go to a runoff for January fifth. Uh, because no one was able to get above 50%, which is Georgia law. Um, you need to you need to get above 50% to avoid uh, to avoid a runoff. And because you have multiple entrants for both races, it's very mathematically challenging sometimes to get above 50%. So that's indeed where we are. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I think both Republicans uh, will probably win the race, at least one. And there's going to be, okay. regardless, a, a huge amount of money that's going to get thrown at this. Um, thrown at these races because it really is going to be most likely the check and balance system uh, of, the, of a Republican Senate to a, uh, a Biden executive, assuming that you know Trump is not successful in his legal challenges. And that's important because <clears throat> then you have McConnell bringing things to the floor as opposed to Schumer. Uh, and so it's a different agenda uh, in terms of the way things get uh, put to the floor. Obviously, the committee heads would be different as well. And if it is 50-50, to state the obvious, which I'm sure everyone knows, um, uh, Vice President Harris, presumably Vice President Harris, will be the um, essentially the president of the Senate and the and the tie-breaking vote. It's worth noting that you know in in a, in a chamber of 100 votes, every every vote does count. And you know just because it's 50-50 with the tiebreaker on the Democrat side, doesn't mean it's always going to go that way. And everyone votes along party lines. There are you know, there are very uh, left-leaning uh, Republicans and there are very right-leaning, so to speak, Democrats. And you can have some mm-hmm. people crossing the aisle, so to speak. We've seen that, you know, people like Collins and Romney uh, on on the Republican side and uh, and Manchin, obviously, um, on, the, on the Democrat side. So, uh, you know, just because it's 50-50 with a tiebreaker, et cetera, doesn't necessarily mean it's going to go Democrat way, if it you know if it did go that way, um, and the, and the Georgia races did go that way, but right now I would say there's, I'd say an eighty eighty five percent probability that uh, it's going to be a, a red chamber uh, of either plus one or plus two, um, you know, come January sixth, and hopefully, <laughs> hopefully we'll know the results of that race a little quicker than the, than the results of the uh, the presidential. Uh, here's hoping. Um... Maybe I'll, I'll uh, transition to talk about the lame duck session. Um, 
What do you think gets done uh, during the lame duck, s- duck session? I think there was some skepticism on a stimulus package during that time, but it seems like McConnell seems interested in it. Um, what do you think actually gets done during during uh, the next couple of months? So we've been pushing back on the idea of um, a phase four package for quite a while, and we're pretty skeptical that it would get done uh, even going into the election. Um, and then the, uh, the Supreme Court nomination, obviously, took up a little bit of real estate in terms of the Senate's time. Uh, to me, the Senate Republicans have generally been the, you know, the, the roadblock to getting a deal done, mostly because uh, they're looking for certain things, I would say, to not be in the package that Pelosi and I would say House Democrats are looking to be in the package. And I think that's still the real state of play. Um, and I think it's going to be challenging in the lame duck session to get something done. And if it does get done, I think it's going to be very, very skinny, very, very small. Um, it's not going to be a two or three trillion dollar package that I think most people believe is what's required from a fiscal perspective at this point. I think it's probably under a trillion and maybe even five to seven hundred billion. But even the probability of that, I think, is is very low. I think that, you know, the makeup of the bill is important and you know to both sides. And, you know, state and local funding is very important to the Democrat side. And the Republicans really do not want to see that type of uh, line item in the bill. So, you know, with all that's going on, plus kind of the the bun fight that's probably going to go on for the next few weeks uh, regarding the contestment of the election, to me, it's challenging. And then obviously you have you start rolling into uh, December holidays, et cetera. So I put the the probability of, uh, you know, a... uh, uh, phase four stimulus deal, uh, well below 20%, I would say, during the lame duck session. And even if something happens, it's not going to be of significant size that I think, you know, moves the market, or at least the market is quote unquote happy with. Do you think that the probability of the stimulus goes dramatically higher uh, once we end the lame duck session and we have a Biden presidency, Republican controlled uh, Senate, if indeed that's what we have? Um, do you think that the probability goes uh, substantially higher at that point for more stimulus? Yeah, that's a good question. I think it goes higher. I'm not sure if it's substantially higher. I mean, I think everybody knows something, quote unquote, needs to get done. And I think that's literally what I was saying in the summer. Is this check and balance system is going to make it a little more uh, a little more challenging to do a, a multi-trillion dollar package that everyone's going to be happy with. Um, I think it depends on the makeup of the Senate. If it's 52-48 for the Republicans, that's that's actually going to be quite a bit different um, than if it's 51 or even, uh, you know, 50-50 with with a a Harris uh, tiebreaker vote. Uh, So I think every seat here uh, will count. I think eventually something needs to get done. The Fed can't continue to do everything on its own. And uh, a lot of uh, programs are slated to expire at December 31st. Um, so I believe that once you get the new Congress uh, sworn in in January, there should be a new push to get, quote unquote, something done. The only question is, you know, what does that look like? Great. Um, and maybe uh, we'll have you back on for uh, uh, more longer term views on, on the economy once we get some more answers on uh, both the Senate and uh, and the Trump lawsuits. Um, but in general, uh, if you if we take the base case, which seems like it's a Biden president, seems like it's a Republican held uh, Senate. Yeah. Um, yeah. 
you know, what do you think? Markets seem to have reacted well. I mean, there's a lot of uh, COVID news that are mixed in that are driving markets as well. So what do you think the market reaction is and, and, and the general economic outlook, if that is indeed the case at Realimus? I mean, I think from a fixed income perspective first, uh, you know, the, the, the reaction has been appropriate with yields not necessarily moving higher on on that news and being relatively steady on the notion that there is going to be a bit of a check and balance system with a Republican held Senate. Um, you know, that make that makes sense to me. And, uh, you know, the COVID news wrapping in obviously is uh, helping to uh, push rates higher, push the long end higher. Um, you know, but I think, I think that's appropriate. And there's obviously a lot of talk around, uh, what kind of, uh, abilities, uh, tech regulation will, will have or not have. And that drove NASDAQ a fair bit last week. And, you know, again, that, that shouldn't surprise. Um, and then from a dollar perspective, uh, you know, I, 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 I thought it was appropriate that the dollar was, um, not necessarily, uh, bid and was actually somewhat somewhat offered and we saw we saw the dollar uh, depreciating the US dollar that is and I think going forward you know a lot of this is you know the once the election news passes we're going to kind of get back to more what I would call fundamental macro drivers of the economy and uh, you know the COVID story is obviously a significant portion of that and you know if we have a vaccine uh, on the horizon that looks like it's uh, successful that people are going to take uh, that can be easily distributed uh, that that is definitely going to have an impact on markets, but the Fed is, you know, the Fed is always there and lurking, and I feel that the Fed does not want to see rates, especially well, at any anywhere along the curve, really, but in particular, uh, anywhere from kind of ten years and outward and long end. I don't think the Fed wants to see rates want to see rates pop higher. I think the Fed wants to see, um, you know, rates very. Uh, very readily available, cheap rates readily available for consumers and business uh, business investment along the curve, and will continue that message, uh, whether verbally or or physically, by adjusting its QE program uh, in the weeks or months ahead. So, is it fair to say that we have a lot more um, insight on monetary policy than we do fiscal right now, and that monetary um, is supportive for markets and, and maybe even more influential than fiscal? Which is, is that fair to take away from your comments? Yeah, I think that's absolutely fair, and I think you know from the last FOMC meeting uh, a couple of days after the election, you know, the press, Powell's press conference was very adamant that they had spent a lot of time discussing the current QE program and various tweaks that they and you know changes they could make you know to the program and, and one of the one of the themes we've been flagging quite a bit I would say since July is the notion of the Fed extending its weighted average maturity uh, purchases uh, for what I would call the COVID QE program from around five years in average duration to maybe closer to 10, which would be more along the lines of the old QE3 program from a few years ago that I'm sure many of us remember. And that would help suppress uh, long-term rates from moving higher. And I think that's very much on the Fed's docket, uh, potentially even for the December meeting. And they could obviously also add additional uh, you know, firepower in terms of um, you know, just purchasing more, more paper uh, beyond the, uh, the 80-40 um, paper that they're they're doing weekly right now so i think that you know that could that could be happening and 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 clearly we see them very happy to tweak their um their own programs that are currently going including the main street lending facility program which got tweaked um the friday before the election 
where they took the minimum loan amount down from 250000 to 100000 to make credit more available to many, many more businesses. And that tells you something. And it tells you this Fed's going to do whatever it takes. It's a whatever it takes moment for the Fed, very much like it was for the ECB in, in 2012. And I think we're still in the middle of that moment, so to speak. Well, that seems like a great place to end it. A little bit of stability in a world full of instability. So uh, maybe we'll check in uh, with you uh, from time to time to see how some of these uh, unknowns unfold, whether it's the lawsuits, the Senate race and the like. Uh, but Dustin, thanks again for spending the time and, and your insights. Always a pleasure. Thanks for having me, Matt. content of this podcast, including facts, views, opinions, and recommendations, is not to be used or construed as investment advice and is not an offer or an invitation to buy or sell any security. The content of this podcast should not be relied upon for any purposes and McKenzie Financial Corporation is not responsible for any reliance upon it. This podcast includes forward-looking information that reflects our current expectations or forecasts of future events. Forward-looking information is subject to risks, uncertainties, and assumptions that could cause actual results to differ materially from those expressed herein. Our views are subject to change based on market conditions. Commissions, trailing commissions, management fees, and expenses may be associated with mutual fund investments. Please read the fund facts and prospectus before investing. The indicated rates of returns are historical annual compounded total returns, including changes to unit values and reinvestment of all dividends or distributions and does not take into account sales, redemptions, distribution, or optional charges or income taxes payable by any security holder that would have reduced returns. 